0: The Science Inside Podcast. This is The Science Inside.
1: Good evening and welcome to the Science Inside, bringing you the latest news stories and events happening in the world of science, technology and innovation. I am Nondamisa Luhutso and my co-host Linda guttlete will not be joining me for tonight's show, but I will safely guide you through this hour and there are interesting things in store for you tonight. The 1st of December is commemorated as World AIDS Day. This year's theme was Ending the HIV and AIDS Epidemic Community by Community. A study conducted by the United Nations indicated that 7 million people in South Africa are living with the virus. Now South Africa has been working towards turning the HIV, AIDS and TB for quite some time and we would like to investigate what kind of progress has been made at least during the past five years. So on tonight's show we want to find out more about the newly discovered HIV subtype and what its implications towards diagnosis, treatment among other things may be. And on science this week, we look at how the development of a new to- toilet can become your own personal doctor. Then finally, we unpack what the impact of the Dolutegrava drug will be. It is said that it will be the drug that could change the course of the country's fight against the epidemic. But right now, we go into the news
2: with Bridget LePer.
3: This week's Science headline.
2: In your newsmaking headlines this week. E cigarettes smokers are susceptible to chronic risks of the lung and cardiovascular system. And new research sheds light on risks of HIV factor in kidney transplants. Good evening, I am Bridget Liberi. A preventative cardiologist at the University of Wisconsin, James Dane, has called on medical science teams to assess the impact of e-cigarettes, commonly known as vaping, across the world. Results have shown that e-cigarettes, initially designed as tools to help cigarette smokers to quit, have in fact resulted in widespread use by young people who were initially non-smokers. The e-cigarette is a battery-operated device that contains nicotine and substances that dissolve the nicotine and flavorings. Popularity popularity rose Appropriate, approximately five years ago as a result of flavoring options and enhanced methods that imitate smoking. 13 million people in the United States are estimated to be e-cigarette smokers, a number which is more than other people worldwide. Now, earlier this year, hazards emerged when a number of reports on acute lung injuries began to strike. U.S. cases now approach up to two thousand three hundred, with a total of forty-seven deaths. Medical oncologist specializing in lung cancer, Peter Shields, reported that these cases are nothing like the characteristics found in the cases of e-cigarette smokers. Health. Officials have suggested that injuries are linked to a vitamin E oil that contains tetrahydronol cannabinoid, known as THC, added to e-cigarettes. Studies in animals have al- already shone light on the long-term effects of e-cigarette use. In September this year, a paper in the Journal of Clinical Investigation described the results of mice being exposed to e-cigarettes for four months. A graduate student, Matthew Madison showed the results of the animal's lung tissue which displayed displayed an abnormality within immune cells called macrophages a further experiment revealed that macrophages not only help to protect the body from infections but also recycles lung surfactant which is a mix of proteins and lipids that coat the inside of lung air sacs and AIDS gas exchange. Solvents in the e-cigarettes have been proven to not only dissolve nicotine, but to dissolve anything that comes in the way of the user. Although the mice seemed healthy, once exposed to the flu virus, their macrophages died, suggesting that their ability to fight infections had actually weakened. Another concern is whether, like smoking, vaping can potentially lead to cancer scientists of the uh, of the belief that e-cigarettes are likely to be less carcinogenic than tobacco however a team of new york university school of medicine have reported that mice that were actually exposed to e-cigarettes for 54 weeks had an increased risk of lung cancer and showed changes in bladder cells that are indicative of cancer the consumption of cigarette smoking and e cigarettes respectively delivers hosts of chemicals that are absorbed across the lining of the lungs. Concerns for non smokers have been taken uh, taken up the habit as well as of smokers who try vaping to quit their habit remain as both forms use nicotine the long term risks of e cigarettes to health are still yet to be determined. And in our final news story for tonight, a study looking at the impact of the second HIV strain, which is transplanted with kidneys, has shown a high survival rate of recipient patients with no resistance to the drug regimes. South Africa has one of the highest incidences of HIV in the world with 7 million people in the country living with the the virus. Over 10 million, Years of 51 kidneys from deceased HIV positive donors have been transplanted into HIV positive patients. The study found that after five years of their transplants, about 50, 84% pardon me of patients survived while close to 80% had a functioning kidney. The study also looked at the impact of the second viral strain. Although it is not advisable for patients with HIV to get exposed to a second viral strain, donor viruses disappeared from their systems 12 weeks post-transplant in all cases except one. In this one case, the donor virus was undetectable at 26 weeks Post transplant. The cases in which South African patients whose transplanted kidneys failed after a few years was identified as reoccurring HIV associated nephronpathy in the transplanted kidney. This means that despite a good control over the virus that there might be well a viral reservoir in the kidney that has not reached by that has not been reached by the entry retroviral treatment. However another clinical issue for patients in the exceptionally high rejection rates which require a strong induction of immunosuppression. Studies have shown that rejection happens when the recipient's body recognizes the kidney as foreign and tries. To disable it In general transplant patients Need drugs to prevent This process due to a dysregulated immune system On the other hand Induction therapy makes recipients Vulnerable to opportunistic Infections as the patient's CD4 count drops dramatically Because of the treatment In the transplant patient There is a fine balance with Keeping the patient's immune system Strong enough to fight any Infections and not reject the kidney. It took most of the recipients in this study months to recover their cd4 counts this meant that they needed ongoing therapy to prevent opportunistic infections and tuberculosis the use of hiv positive organs is now a well established practice in south africa and also part of the ongoing hope study in the usa positive results showing little impact of the second viral strain are warmly welcomed in this work. The introduction of a second viral strain is not a clinically sufficient or significant issue for this population group. However, this makes the procedure a safe, long-term option for patients with HIV. Recapping your stories for this week, e-cigarette smokers are susceptible to chronic risks of the lungs and cardiovascular system and new research sheds light on risks of HIV factor in kidney transversal Plants. That was all from me. Uh, but what do you what do you uh, think about uh, this new um, this new study on on HIV and uh, kidney transplants? syndrome? I really I really do think it's interesting. I mean, um,
1: for me, I've never really considered the degree to which you know. Um, transplanting can have in HIV. The HIV factor has never really been something that I was aware of. Yeah. So I do think it's something that is interesting and that we also need to become aware of. Anyway. Yeah.
2: But I, I really like the fact that uh, where they are saying that um, actually after a couple of months when they had actually trans, uh, transplanted this kidney to the new donor, um, the donor actually didn't recognize the new HIV strain that was mm-hmm. introduced into their body. So I think the body is truly an amazing organ, don't you think? I do. I do. I really do. Well, that was me. F- that was all from the news desk. Over to you, Ndumi. Let's go into UnScience.
3: This is Science Headline. This is the Science Inside. Science Inside.
1: So well, listen, you're still with the Science Inside and we're going to switch it up. We're going to give you a young story before we head straight into Unscience after the interview that we have for you.
4: Uh, my name is Angela Mabusi. I'm 31 years old. I'm a person living with HIV. I am, by profession, a nursing sister. Currently, predominantly, I uh, deal with dating ART patients and TB patients as well. I run the... TV program at the facility that I worked in. I was diagnosed with HIV in 2011. I uh, hadn't been feeling well for some time, uh, but I had very vague symptoms. You know, one could easily mistaken them for a flu or a fever, you know, or something like that. But it was actually HIV symptoms in very early stages. So what I had was lymph nodes on my neck, on my groin area and they were not visible to the naked eye. So lymph nodes are like little gross, little balls around my neck and on my ground and under my armpits. And therefore I went to the doctor and then the doctor investigated me for HIV via the normal blood test called the ELISA test. And then after that, the results came back negative and I actually asked doctor to conduct a more conclusive test. He conducted a PCR test and it came back positive, and that is how I was diagnosed with HIV. Initially, in the initial stages, it was very difficult, it was hard to accept. I went through um, depression, I was very depressed, I had suicidal ideation, but in in the ultimate end, I, I looked for help, I saw a psychologist, the sessions really, really helped, and I got better from then, you know, because actually, above everything, the one thing that pushed me was my love for my children because I thought, okay, fine, I've been diagnosed with HIV and I'm feeling suicidal. But because of my HIV does it then mean that my children have to go through life without a mother, without my love and without my guidance. And therefore I really literally had to pull myself towards myself and yeah, I started, you know, learning more about the disease. I changed my work environment to work in an HIV space and that is how I grew in HIV management. To start with, nurses are human beings. Secondly, not everybody is infected with HIV because they're promiscuous. You know, that is what we, we need to understand, mm-hmm. and that is how we are actually going to get rid of stigma and discrimination when it comes to HIV. And thirdly, being a nurse actually helped me because I knew what to do, and especially at the time of my diagnosis, the first test was negative. I think if I, I wasn't a nurse, I was just going to let it go and say, okay, it's fine. I'm happy I'm negative. But I knew there was something wrong with me. I knew so that further investigations had to be done. And therefore, being a nurse actually helped me. But however, my observation with the other nurses, all people in the profession, doctors even, is that a lot of them that are diagnosed with HIV tend maybe to have negative perceptions about themselves. Because sometimes, remember, stigma with the self there is what we call self stigmatization they start stigmatizing themselves I know from when uh, my days in in school in college at VARA, a lot of our colleagues would die from HIV even when I was now uh, a professional uh, after I had graduated and we'd always wonder why our nurse is dying and we should be having the the knowledge to say this is how we we treat HIV but you can recall i mean if you think about it, you know that HIV is you know, have got a lot to do with the mind. So if the mind is not right, then the physical, you know, the physical aspect will not be right as well. And that's why I feel a lot of the in the profession have actually died because of self-stigmatization. I disclosed my thesis openly back in 2000, I think it was 2014 on a TV show. And part of disclosing for me was I needed to take my power back. I wanted to take my power back. And what do I mean by saying I needed to take my power back? So I had to talk to a couple of friends, and friends were telling friends, and, you know, the news was spreading. uh, My my current partner's ex knew about my status, and, you know, they were telling everybody who cared to listen about my status. And at that point, I felt, you know what, this is my story. I know my story best, and I need to take my power back. And part of taking my power back is actually telling my story the way I know how to. But then it grew. It now became about helping other people after the initial stages because after I spoke out, a lot of people actually came out to say, hey, we're also living with HIV. Hey, we're also going, undergoing this, you know. And then as far as disclosure to my family.
1: So that was a story by Angela Mutusi who was explaining how tense it becomes when one experiences or finds out rather that they are HIV positive, especially in our society, South Africa. Bridget, how do you, what is your take on how our society handles people who
2: are infected with the virus? Well, um, if I would just, you know, reference from what Angela was saying, I think her story is a very powerful one because it just shows that, you know, stigmatization, as she had mentioned, that is still a very big problem in South Africa, right? Uh, Where she said, uh, you look at yourself in a certain way, you perceive yourself in a certain way, you look at yourself as if, you know, you are redundant or something like that. And that also obviously affects your self-image, how you portray yourself, how, you know, your confidence, basically. So what you are saying there is that actually when, even when I spoke to her, she was saying like a a lot of her colleagues were dying because of uh, stigmatization where even though these people are doctors and nurses and they deal with this virus on a daily basis, they're the ones pricking people's fingers and telling them that, hey, you've uh, contracted this virus. But I feel like it's it's a bit of a shame because um if you uh if you are going undergoing cancer treatment you can freely say that and people actually feel for you and another thing that Mm -hmm. actually came out from our conversation was that you know she's saying that you know with hiv why does hiv have to have that factor Mm -hmm. right why do people have to You know, feel that kind of way because it is actually, um, she was saying it's actually linked to promiscuous sexual behavior or you are immoral, you don't have, uh, you know, morals. And that is not true because some people are born with HIV and you can actually get um, HIV from one one encounter and it could be from one person that you had just slept with. And there was your partner. So, I mean, these are important conversations that we need to have. And in order for us all to fight HIV, and as much as with new drugs that are being delivered or rolled out, it is problematic if... People still don't uh, look after their behavior because mm-hmm. behavior is a big thing. It's, a, it's the key ingredient to actually actively fighting HIV. No, I do have to agree with you because even when you go out there, you know,
1: it's, it's more of the fact that there's an idea, as you mentioned, around yeah. you have, if someone has HIV, it's, it's the stereotype that, no, this person, there's no way they were just born with it. Mm-hmm. They were doing something you know and you did say that um, cancer doesn't have the same stigma the same attitude like yeah. no, no one you know no one will say that when someone gets cancer mm-hmm. but when it comes to HIV it's this mental indoctrination that no that you can't just get HIV yeah and it's yeah it's, it's just very sad in our society I don't know how we can find ways to yeah. teach because even from a young age as children in primary It's even there, when you find out that a child, a friend, if you're still also in primary, has HIV, then you're scared to hug them. I remember being scared to hug someone once I found out that they had HIV. And it was more of the fact that I wasn't aware. The general idea was, no, this person has HIV, and if you hug them, you're going to get it. You know, so already that person was now alienated. Yeah, And we only found out later that
2: no, HIV does not transmit through a hug it doesn't just you know so it's very yeah so education is also a key important yeah uh factor mm. when it comes to tackling the issue of hiv mm. definitely all right. So, yeah, I guess uh, that's where we we will leave the conversation. But then, uh, obviously, we will speak to experts in the field. Definitely, definitely. We
1: have that coming up. So, Health Minister Zuelin Kize launched a new three-in-one pill that could help people with HIV suppress their viral load, while also averting more than 300,000 new infections through this combination pill in the next two decades the rollout of the one pill a day combination pill called dolutegravir Gra- excuse me will revolutionize the treatment of hiv and could well be a good start to cutting new hiv infections and deaths through the tablet most south africans are hiv excuse me most south africans on hiv treatment already use one of these drugs alongside a third called efavirenz but there was some resistance from government from bringing in the drug as it can cause birth defects amongst other things to discuss his bit further we have CEO of Heads, Dr. Ramnik Alwala excuse me Aluwalia, who is is a registered medical practitioner with the three national medical councils of India, Mauritius, and South Africa. He has great clinical and allied health care management experience with interests in public health, improving health systems, infrastructure, policy development, and system evaluation. Good evening, Ramnik, and a very warm welcome to The Science Inside.
5: Um, hi, ma'am. Thank you, Nami, so it's an honor. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Firstly, I must say a big congratulations to you on helping and advising on issues of policy. I'm sure your input had some influence in helping government to launch this drug in South Africa, right?
5: I and mean, definitely, I just wanted to uh, a little bit correct and uh, apologize. Uh, uh, I'm the of higher health. hate was used to be the old name, but the Department of higher Education has, has looked into this organization looking at uh, more epidemics beyond just HIV, TB, and STI. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just wanted to recollect that I'm the CEO of Higher Health. But you're right. um, I was part of the task team that was appointed by SAMAC and the Deputy President um, uh, in 2017 when we were developing the National Strategic Plan of South Africa on HIV, TB, and STI. and, And definitely this drug does come from the outcomes of the um, the strategic plan that South Africa has launched in twenty seventeen to
1: twenty twenty two sure so how how was it in um probing the government to launch this drug in South Africa because we know that it wasn't it wasn't something that they had encouraged initially because of the defects
5: uh, definitely see look um there is a, there's a lot of uh, 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 resistance there is there's a little bit of resistance that has been we have been started experiencing uh, with the um, the first and the second line regimen of the ARVs that we have been administering across um, um, uh, across uh, South Africa and also uh, Southern Africa in general. Uh, but also, practically, um, uh, we also need to find medications through research that can show us their side effects. Mm. Um, and this new innovation of of 3 pills in one, which obviously the minister has just recently launched, comes at a time when we need a very strong uh, antiretroviral program. The antiretroviral program is just not the program of treating HIV, but it also assists towards preventing new infections. Mm. Remember, if your viral load is decreased because your drugs are effective, then your rate of transmission of the virus to another person also reduces significantly. So automatically the prevention element also comes so antiretrovirals are not only for treatment but also as prevention so it comes at a time when we also need uh, a, 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 a preventive methodology so that we do not have no we do not have new infections coming within our country
1: mm, that's very true now speaking about this new drug that has been launched what are the differences between the dilute graver and the three drug combination regimen
5: Sorry, sorry, I didn't hear you. Can you repeat the question?
1: Yes, I was just asking what the differences are between the new drug, the dilute grava, and the three-drug combination regimen that we all uh, are
3: aware of. See,
1: DTG,
5: which is uh, dilute grava, Mm
3: -hmm.
5: um, is being now uh, one of the innovative medicines that will replace um, the the, the regimen in such a way that this will formulate into a three-drug regimen, which it will combine with the two other medications that of the ARV that we always, always administered, which is tenophofer and lamivudine, So the tenophofer, lamivudine, and DDG as the most common combination will help assist us in, in, in as, as one tablet that can be given once a day, which will help in not only reducing the side effect that we used to have, but we are hoping that this will also reduce the resistance that has been developing both at the first line and the second line of the ARV treatment.
1: Sure. So you have spoken about the side effects of um, both of the drugs, the three drug combination as well as dilutograva. In terms of the new one that has been launched, what where, where could we see birth defects? Sorry, you
5: said birth defects. Sorry, the line has been quite a problem. I apologize to the uh, to the listeners on this issue but uh, could you just say the last line please once again?
1: No problem. I was asking um, where we see the birth defects because with the government um, discouraging the launch of the new drug the main one of the main causes of them not wanting to launch it was because of the birth defects that come with dilutograva. So, so I it wanted has to been,
5: sorry? There have been certain researchers that have shown that uh, DPG, which is dilutograva has found to have Uh, birth defects, but there was a recent study from from Brazil and many other countries that have shown that it is quite effective and Mm -hmm. does not conclusively tell us that there are significant birth defects, uh, specifically mothers who are pregnant, and on this regimen. But we also need to uh, understand that every medication in the world has some of the other side effects. It's a chemical at the end of the day, but definitely this drug has shown that the previous drug, which was effeverence. This is far superior drug uh, compared to the previous regimen of effeverence when it used to be combined in the three drug regimen. You're right, we need to closely observe that does this drug develop more side effects, but new clinical trials have given the government and the Department of Health as well as uh, the Government Health Organization to clear this drug, to be allowed for countries to to look into its regimen. Remember, we're also experiencing as I said earlier, a lot of drug resistance, lot of side effects from the previous regimen, which is making our prevention program, our treatment program quite on the standstill and this does come at a time when we need a change in our strategy towards a more effective uh, HIV control program.
1: Mm. So now is the government looking towards phasing out um, the, one, the drugs that are currently in use and how, how are they looking towards doing that if they are?
5: I'm, just to inform you, I'm not in government uh, yeah, of course. Uh, but, uh, so it's very difficult for me to answer on behalf of the government but all I can emphasize the fact is that uh, as uh, organizations around this country working on HIV, as organizations working on health and wellness definitely we are very much welcoming uh, this big innovation that the government of South Africa has introduced the bold step uh, We are challenged by a country with 7.9 million South Africans living with this disease. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of population that is affected. We have to make sure that no new infections come in South Africa. The problem is that we have still a lot of new infections every year being added into our programs of HIV. Uh, Our young people deserve a better living to be HIV. We need to fight this epidemic right from the center. Mm. ARVs play a very significant role. ARVs not only help in supporting the HIV positive people, but also help in preventing uh, the transmission of the virus from HIV positive or negative people. uh, Together with other preventions like condoms, circumcision, with other um, uh, innovations around prevention on HIV, Uh, ARVs do play a very significant role in preventing new infections. Remember, for us, the bigger battle is to make sure not only our people living with HIV are healthy, Mm -hmm. people living with HIV are able to uh, live as long as possible, like any other general population. Our biggest fight will be is, does HIV-positive people have less side effects with the medication that they take? But the most important factor is... Do we make sure that our South Africa is safe from getting no new infections in the future? Our target is by 2030, 20, 20, we need to reduce non-new infections in South Africa. And we have to come to that level of having no new infections in South Africa. We as a country are grappled with lots of young people being infected at very early stage. So we do welcome this innovation. This is a critical innovation that we experience in a world where the old regimen has been having a lot of side effects. Old regimes have a lot of uh, resistance being built up, and that is really disturbing our ERV program.
1: True, true. I agree with you there, Doctor. Now, these new 3-in-1 pills, are they more expensive than the older drugs?
5: See, at the end of the day, the government is going to provide it at no cost to our people. So the expense to the government will obviously be determined by how they are working with the pharmaceuticals around the production of these medications. And that feels so very difficult for me to answer such a question, but all I'm trying to say to you is it's again still a very bold decision, and I'm sure the cost will be engaged by the department in its own way.
1: Sure. No, I hear you. I hear you, doctor. <laughs> and um, I know it is said to be a better that it is said to be a better drug than the ones currently on our shelves because patients on DTG are less likely to develop resistance to the drug. How is this so?
5: Remember the trials have shown that this is a, a drug which has been come out of some serious clinical trials which has shown some serious effectiveness around it. WHO has given us a very big go ahead. The mm-hmm. country has looked into it, the scientists have really drilled deeper into it. So. Scientifically, it's a superior drug. It's been shown as a very effective antiretroviral compared to effluverins, which was a previous drug. So, effluverins did have a lot of side effects. So, uh, this comes at a time
3: when we
5: need our population on ARBs to have uh, lesser side effects, much more healthier living. And I think that's the right, right, right place to go. Science is evolving, so in the pharmaceutical industry, and every time there are research trials their trials are more superior quality of anti being introduced and with time we need to also make sure that we bring that to south africa
1: no definitely now what difference does it make in terms of drug dispensing and management of the virus
5: uh if you ask me about uh drug dispensing did you say the drug dispensing
1: yes drug dispensing
5: yes, to uh, what the the government has announced that by march 2020 it will be rolled out um, obviously, it depends on how the Department of Health will roll out as we as higher education and higher health, we, we are going to ensure that our ARV clinics and across our institutions of higher education and higher learning are able to receive this drug um, from the department and be able to roll out to um, our uh, young students that are on the ARV program at our institutions.
1: Mm, and does it counteract the functioning of certain contraceptives? And if so, which ones?
5: Um, as such, we are waiting for more study results around this. But as such, it has not shown anything. There are a lot of uh, you remember there is a study that comes with the research that shows some negative side effects, are wrong, for example, with the an interaction with the contraceptive. But as such, it's This, drug, if it has been now clinically proven, has not shown any kind of uh, disturbance with a contraception program.
1: Sure. Wow, Doc, this was very informative. So, as a person, how soon can we expect it to be rolled out onto our shelves?
5: We are waiting for March 2020 as the government has announced Mm -hmm. and we really hope that uh, we will be bringing it to our clinics as soon as possible.
1: Okay, sure. Thank you so much for your time. Doc Ramnik, it was very nice talking to you. That was Dr. Ramnik Aluwalia, who specializes in public health, improving health systems and policy development. He was talking to us about the new Dalu to Grava, excuse me, HIV combination pill, which was launched last Wednesday. On the socials, you can find us on Facebook as The Science Inside and tweet us as at Vawfm. Use the hashtag ScienceInside. Inside. Do stay tuned.
3: You're listening to the Science Inside, bringing you science around major news events.
1: Welcome back. You heard it. You're still with the Science Inside. Now, listen HIV has two main types HIV 1, which is the most common, and HIV 2, relatively uncommon and less infectious. HIV 1 has the main group M, and group N is the one responsible for the global HIV epidemic. Now, within the main type of Group M, there are many genetically distinct subtypes between A and K. Now, tests to diagnose HIV and monitor the level of virus in the body sensitive to the full range of subtypes and the HIV-2 type and its main type of Group O do exist, but may not readily be available in all settings. So HIV, like any virus, has the ability to mutate and change over time. Researchers have found a new HIV strain subtype L, which falls under the HIV group M. It is extremely rare and can be detected by Abbott's current screening system, but it can screen more than 60% of the global blood supply, which is a cause for concern. So tonight, we are joined by the head of the Center for HIV and STIs and previously the Deputy Director at the National Institute for Communicable Diseases, NICD, excuse me, Johannesburg, Dr. Adrian Purin. His interests are in virology and with a specific focus on HIV in areas of diagnosis, HIV research and vaccine endpoint studies, as well as programs related to HIV surveillance. A very warm welcome to the Science Inside, Adrian.
0: Thank you very much for that introduction and uh, good evening to your listeners.
1: <laughs> of course. And I would like for us to talk about the new HIV subtype, which has been under the radar for almost 19 years. Why is it that we have not been able to pick the virus up for that long?
0: The one thought I did have is that, you know, we screen for viruses, and I think that that's what Abbott does on on a routine basis. Mm-hmm. And has only really detected, and I think they've only identified two of the, the new, I, they call it a subtype, um, and they had problems, I think, with the third specimen that they thought could um, heal a, a third specimen to ensure that. It, it's possible, you know, when you look at HIV, it's a highly diverse virus, mm-hmm. um, and you've outlined quite succinctly how that level of diversity, for example, in the M group. It's possible that here and there you may have these other strains, but that they may not necessarily be transmissible, for example, mm. and so although it is there, the level in which it is in the general population populations that you sample from is so rare that um, you are unable to detect it or you detect it at such a you know um ad hoc number in terms of one or two particular cases, and so it could just simply be a dead end um. And it hasn't been transmitted, for example, as as you know in South Africa and other parts of Africa. There are mm-hmm. some dominant uh, viruses, with so subtype C clade, for example, D in Kenya, um, and, and so on. So those have really become the dominant viruses, or subtypes, in circulation. Whereas this particular subtype may um, be simply uh, uh, um, there, but at, at such low levels because it's not. Um, easily transmissible for example.
1: Sure, so doctor how was it discovered and how does it affect and undermine the available diagnostic of HIV treatment?
3: So you, you raised
0: an important point and if you look at the history of the diagnostics of, of HIV, it, it really has evolved over the years mm. and my sense is that um, initially there were certainly problems because the diagnostics um, that we have today has really been developed in, for example, Europe um, or the United States, where there was a specific subtype, subtype B, for example, which mm. is still the, the most dominant uh, virus in, in circulation in those, those um, geographic areas. And that did heal a problem in that they selected a specific set of gene or genes um, which were highly mutable. And therefore, when you try to apply those diagnostics in, for example, the African setting, you could possibly miss that. Mm. But I think that diagnostics has really evolved and become more sophisticated and it focuses on what we call uh, regions that do not mutate um, highly, for example. And that's where many of the the, the focus is in terms of diagnostics. So missing it, I I think, should not really be a major uh, problem. Um, There may be some risk of under, under quantifying it possibly, but my sense is that we should be able to develop the necessary um, diagnostic capabilities. and I think Abbott has done that, apparently. they've updated some of their diagnostic kit, for example, to ensure that they, they don't miss this particular um, virus. Mm. My sense is that you know um, using the areas that, that don't mutate at, at high rates um, will certainly uh, allow for one to detect these particular subtypes, yes.
1: Sure, and initially, Doc, how was it discovered? How did how did it come about? Could you take us through that process?
0: Yeah, so from what I could gather um, from my reading is that um, I think Abbott collects uh, and has an archive of various specimens probably through, from throughout the world and they are probably um, sequencing these particular viruses and as you know, the technology around sequencing has also certainly evolved to the point where you can get the, the full genome and my understanding is that they had sequenced these particular viruses um, from the DRC and that's where they, they discovered them. They, I think they were from different periods um, for, um, in terms of years that they were able to isolate um, those specific viruses or at least two of those particular viruses and be able to come up and show um, that it is um, fairly different from the other um, subtypes within the the M group, but uh, just a, a, a slight warning or an alert is that you know the there is an international convention around recognising um, viruses, and so they will probably have to go through that particular system for that to be called um, the L group within the the, the major group of, of
3: viruses.
1: Sure, and how how does this new um, subtype? Impact on efforts of drug resistance. You know, considering the fact that mm-hmm. there has been the new combination pill diluto grava, um, how how has this new strain um, been viewed and seen in comparison to um, the efforts?
0: So, my sense again from some of the expert opinion is that, in fact, um, the current um, drug regimens will be equally effective. Um, so, I don't think we should uh, be concerned about that at at this time, because the mechanisms of the drugs are um, similar across the major subtype mm, groups, okay. so um, it should be equally effective regardless of, of the, 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 the subtype, so I don't think we should um, get too concerned about that
1: particularly. Okay. Alright, and what lessons are we learning about this new strain in counteracting the treatment of HIV?
0: I I suppose coming back to the point that we've only really identified two um, Mm. cases and so my sense is that again I think we should not get overly concerned um, that that poses a a public health threat. I think we've got I think larger challenges that I think we need to to, um, address um, rather than focusing on on those two viruses. Sure
1: doctor please do tell us about those challenges
0: certainly. So, Mm. um, as you know, yesterday was World AIDS Day, and and that really represents our commemorations after so many decades of having HIV virus in circulation. Mm. Yet in South Africa, you know, it's still a major problem. We have about 7.1 to 8.3 million people that are HIV infected. And we have about only about, well, not only, I think it's quite an achievement. We have about 5 million people. That are currently on treatment, so that leaves us still about you know two two or so million people that need to legally uh, to start uh, treatment. And of that group, we I think my understanding is that we've only about ninety percent of those individuals of that seven point one to eight million people know their status. So we really need to ensure that uh, we provide accessible services um, in order that we can actually focus and have those persons identified and, and start them on treatment. Our treatment program as well has own particular challenges. As I mentioned, we have about five million people. Mm. But, you know, there, there's a large loss of people um, in terms of, um, to the treatment programs. Again, there are, there are particular uh, challenges around that. And you mentioned a, a, a problem when you consider treatment is HIV drug resistance.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's really a, a, a major headache for, for public health programs, and so the introduction, as you know, last Thursday was it Wednesday or Thursday? Wednesday. Uh, the the Ministry of Health mm-hmm. announced a new fixed dose combination that includes a new drug called DTG, yes. dolutegravir, and in combination, it is thought that this drug will really um, assist us in terms of managing um, HIV drug drug resistance to also ensure that those who are newly infected with HIV um, will reach um, viral suppression uh, far more quicker than um, the the current um, conventional um, drug combinations. Obviously it comes with some side effects. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the major one of consideration, but we hope that um, from the various studies that this Risk will be reduced. Um, will be the development of neural tube defects in in, in fetuses,
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, especially within uh, kind of, you know six weeks uh, post conception. And the other major side effect um, is is weight gain,
3: mm-hmm. and sometimes
0: this weight gain can be quite extreme. So I, I think that I think we're um, in a good point where we are introducing this particular drug and it's been controversial and it's taken us a long time to reach this particular point but it certainly um, offers uh, uh, some hope that we can manage some of the public health um, problems that, that we currently are faced with however it's, it's, it's not that straightforward especially for, for women that um, in childbearing age who need to start treatment you know, mm-hmm. are they on regular contraception um, in order for us not to be too concerned about neuro-tube defects. But if they're young women, and as you know, young women in South Africa are particularly vulnerable, and pregnancies is mm. so one outcome of that vulnerability. Um, you know, If they're unsure about um, what contraception to use or not using it, um, then the discussion around um, the use of DTT becomes a bit more complex, a bit more difficult. Um, so simply so bringing together the different fields of access to uh, contraception and as you know there are there have been problems with the availability of um, contraception in at sure. public health facilities so again that that, that is another the challenge so yes we have a, a new drug with all its possibilities, but we also have the challenges that, that go with it.
1: Of course. Now, looking at blood and organ donation, how does the nature of the new strain affect um, transfusions and transplanting aids in treatment of other conditions and diseases?
0: Good. So that's an important point. So I, I think we come back to our, our point about the diagnostics. Mm. So my sense is that um, if the diagnostics is, is up to date, um, and that we use the, the conserved regions, as we call them, of the um, the genes of, of HIV, then my sense is that we should be able to detect um, the virus and, and that we should um, prevent um, the any um, risk of, of, of transmission um, and or in the sense of either blood transfusion or in the sense of, of transplantation, would would be my, my view at this time. So as you know, in South Africa, um, we use molecular methods to identify viruses in the mm-hmm. blood transfusion setting. And as far as I'm aware, I've not seen any, um, well, I'm not aware of um, a single case since the introduction of that particular um, technology of uh, transfusion transmission um, cases at all. There may be one, uh, but I, I speak to stand to be corrected, but as far as I know, there, there have been none um, in, in South Africa.
1: Okay, and apart from um, this new strain being undetectable, what other differences lie between um, HIV strains that we are aware of in comparison to this one?
0: So, that comes back to the classification of viruses Mm -hmm. and so you have to look at the gene that you want to, that will be useful for you to separate out um, the viruses into different groups. So, for example, um, if you look at um, the, the, let's say, nine or so genes that, that, that are on HIV, you choose the most diverse gene, let's say the envelope gene. Mm. And um, you can then sequence that. And based on the sequences of that particular um, envelope gene, you can then subgroup the viruses. So you can then um, subgroup HIV into the three. Major subtypes um, or major groups, for example, the M, N, O, and P groups, mm-hmm. and then when you look at the M group, you can then uh, look at subtypes. Uh, that, that those subtypes are from A to K, and they are also what are call circulating um, recombinant forms as well. And now the, the, the differences there are is that when you look at the, the genetic differences, they're about say. 25 to 30% um, different from each other. And then within those particular groups, um, you can then look at it, say, a 25% or less difference, and that gives you the, the additional um, subtypes.
1: Sure. And in your own opinion, Doc, um, do, would you say that we are sitting on an added problem to the current one that we are trying to resolve, and especially in South Africa?
0: My sense is that I think we have a large enough public health problem. Mm-hmm. With HIV, I don't think that the, the new strain that, strain that has been identified um, contributes to that, that at all.
1: Sure. All right. Now, well, thank you so much for your time and joining us on the show, Dr. Adrian Perrin. It has truly been such an insightful discussion.
0: Well, thank you very much for the opportunity.
1: Of course. For you at home, stay listening. We return after the break.
3: You're listening to The Science Inside Bringing you science around major news events
1: Welcome back, this is The Science Inside. Now, if you're only tuning in now, let me recap it for you on tonight's show. We were in conversation with two HIV specialists, one who is involved in policymaking and public health development, Dr. Ramneek Aluwalia, who spoke to us about the launch of a new HIV drug, Dolutegrava drug, which could revolutionize how we treat HIV and how we manage new infections. But that was not it. We also had a, cha- a chat with Dr. Adrian Piran, who specializes in virology and how HIV is diagnosed, vaccine endpoint studies, as well as programs related to HIV surveillance. Thank you to all our guests featured on tonight's show, namely Dr. Adrian Piran, who is the head of the Center for HIV and STIs, as well as Dr. Ramnik Aluwalia, who is the CEO of Hades. Last but not least, our team behind the scenes in production by Bridget Lepere and tech by Kutwane Sirami. You can find the Science Insight on wits.journalism.co.za forward slash science. The Science Insight is produced by the Wits Radio Academy, funded in part by the South African Department of Science and Technology. This was our final show for this year. It has definitely been great hosting you, and I would like to wish you well over the festive season. Have yourselves a lovely night.
3: This is the Science Inside.
0: The Science Inside Podcast.